Welcome to Grab Life Big. Grab Life Big. The exclusive podcast for healthy, wealthy, generous men who choose to lead epic life. Or as a few of us say, badass rich guys who do epic shit. And now, your host, Pat Hybin. What's up, guys? Let's go over the event schedule here first. I got the Fambundant Solar Eclipse Adventure, August 17th to 22nd. Special guest, Caleb Maddox. He's an incredible 15-year-old. He's got a massive, massive YouTube following. If your kids are not following Caleb Maddox, they need to. He will be there with his father. He is an incredible guy. Also, I got uh, the Tribal Gathering in Austin, Texas. Just announced Tucker Max. Uh, he wrote a couple books. One is Assholes Finish First and I Hope They Serve Beer in Hell. Not necessarily the role model that uh, we want all you guys to follow. But, you know, you either love him or hate him. If you hate him, uh, maybe because he probably gave you or your spouse some sort of venereal disease. Allegedly, uh, he has uh, thrown away his behaviors and he is now... A serious businessman and family man and you have an ability to talk to him in an intimate setting I uh, get to know him he's got this company book in a box where he's creating books for people now that can sell a ton and for all the controversy that he did cause he sold a ton probably an incredible amount of books an incredible amount of books his first book was on New York Times bestseller list like a very very long time so that is going to be happening then and then we got the couples trip again, you know, might be one spot there. Reach out to Melanie and find out, out about that. And we got South Africa, probably a spot or two. If anybody you know is interested, depending on if this lodge we're staying at is full or not, but uh, you can reach out to Melanie about that. That is going to be a crazy, crazy trip. We got 15 GoBros already signed up for 10 days in South Africa. Amazing. And then, of course, our winter adventure in Steamboat Springs, Colorado. Yeah, we got the Fan Bundance families January 13th to 16th. And then we got the Go Bundance Brothers. That's you, January 16th through 19th. And uh, we are definitely limiting this to 100 people. So definitely uh, get your deposit in now. Only costs a grand to put your deposit in. We are working on uh, a killer speaker list. You know, by the names again, if everybody likes Tucker. Garrett Gunderson is speaking, who wrote Killing Sacred Cows and has an incredible company, The Wealth Factory. He's all about money and making money and saving money, investing money. And, of course, our boy Hal Elrod hopefully will be there, uh, dependent on upon how he's recovering. But he will be in Austin, too, by the way. So, you know, if you want to check out Hal, that's where he lives. So he should be there at the summer event there. Another reason to go to Austin. But we need... A group. We're putting together a group, and we want it to be Go Bros. We don't want it to be elders. We want it to be Go Bros because you guys understand, you know, oh, I didn't like that speaker last time, or I didn't like the way you guys did this, or this thing seemed like a waste of time. We really want your input. So we're looking at almost up to 10 Go Bros. And the benefit is, you know, you get to help create our January event. And because there's 10 people, it's not like, you know, we're going to like stick you with a massive amount of work. We're just looking for your input and your creativity and your help a little bit and helping us put this whole thing together. And we want a lot of different opinions. So if you want to be somebody, one of maybe 10 or so people, 
that helps plan the Steamboat event, please reach out to Melanie, Melanie at GoBundance.com. And yeah, so anyways, we're already starting to work on some incredible trips for uh, 2018. And definitely you want to get your uh, bucket list items checked if you haven't already for 2017 because there's amazing things there. And one more thing, guys, please go to the Facebook page and just in the search bar, just type in Pillar Killer or if you look to the top, it's saved to the top and fill out the form that we have for Pillar Killers. And what a Pillar Killer is, is, you know, someone in the tribe, there's 130 members now. Of the members that you know, who is a person that represents our six pillars? Age-defying health, boom, there's a guy in my head I think of already. You know, think of like an older dude that looks like a 20-year-old. Or think of just someone who is like daily doing what's right to live forever. Extreme accountability, boom, who called you out on something recently? Nominate them, right? Easy, genuine contribution. Who's out there giving back? Who's making a difference? Who's making the world a better place? Bucket list adventure. You know who's out there getting the goods, as Timmy Road would say. Who's out there having fun, right? Doing memorable stuff, taking pictures that if they died, they would hang them up at their funeral around the coffin. Here's me on Cager Bolton Rock. Here's me at the top of Kilimanjaro. Who's doing these bucket list pictures, right? Horizontal income. You don't want to nominate someone for horizontal income if if their ratio is 10%, you know? Whose horizontal income pays their bills plus, 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 and authentic relationships? Who's, you know, who has an envious marriage? Really? Who has an envious marriage? Which one of the GoBros is having the most sex? Right? Or which one of the GoBros is getting the, the deepest relationships with people, has the most friends, is an incredible patriarch? That's a good one. Who's the best patriarch, right? For their family, who thinks like a patriarch, as we all should be thinking like patriarchs. Nominate that person. But here's the killer, guys. You can't nominate an elder. Elders don't count, right? Because everybody knows the elder, so they're top of mind. And it's too easy to nominate an elder. So no elders, please. No Pat, Tim, David, Rock, Mark, or Mike. Zip. That's it. Pick. There's 124 others to pick from. Just scroll through your Facebook friends. Nominate six killer pillars. Or at least just go in and nominate one or two. I don't care. And also, if you're tied... If you're like, man, this guy is is hyper-focused on horizontal and this guy's hyper-focused, you can nominate them both. It does allow you to nominate more than one person for, for one category. So go and do it, please. Results to come in the future. It's a fun thing. So please do it. Thank you. That's it for now, guys. Grab life big, brothers. Grab life big. Glad you were home. I'm always home. I'm on cool. Me too. You're doing great. The only true currency in this bankrupt world is what you share with someone else when you're uncool. Is that my advice to you? I know you think these guys are your friends. If you want to be a true friend to them, be honest and unmerciful. Big. Okay, Go Bros. We are in the Go Bro room in sunny Phoenix, Arizona with Mr. Nate Martinez, a good friend of mine for a long time. 
And uh, I'm excited to get into some uh, like serious stuff here. Nate and I just spent like half an hour going about the Phoenix market and the real estate industry as, as a whole. And uh, we're going to talk a little bit about some of that, I think, today as well, because it's fascinating stuff. But but anyways, let's get into some nitty gritty with Mr. Nate. Nate, welcome into the GoBro room. Hey, Pat. Thank you so much. Uh, excited to share a little bit about myself with uh, with the bros. Hey, buddy, why don't you uh, give everybody like a five-minute rundown on the day you were born till today? Well, I was born in Santa Fe, New Mexico. I moved, we moved to Phoenix when I was about six months old. Grew up in the inner city, probably about seven, eight years old. My mom and dad divorced. My dad died when I was 10. Kind of just grew up in a uh, as a single mom trying to make ends meet. My mom didn't have much of an education, so she didn't have real good jobs, but she did work, right? She worked her ass off, was a homeowner. Uh, she lived in the same house uh, for like 40 years until until we sold it. So, you know, I, I had a lot of challenges growing up as a kid, you know, growing up in the inner city, gangs, drugs. Uh, a lot of my friends went to prison for dealing drugs. Several of them got murdered. So it was a crazy life, you know. Before. That that was crazy. Let me slow it down because there's some like like after school special shit here. So uh, okay, so how'd your dad die? Automobile accident. So just random, huh? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Wow. And what was that like? Like, um, you know, it was weird. You know, I mean, I, I remember the day. You know, I I got I answered a call from my my father's landlord. He was running a. Um, like an apartment or something, you know, and uh, and they were trying to get my mom's phone number, and I had the phone in my ear, and they thought I was off the phone, and and they said, hey, you know, she was telling somebody that Max had died, so so I remember once I got off that phone, I just left the house and I like ran. I mean, I'm not even a runner, but I like ran like a mile, just crying and running. Didn't know how to deal with it, you know, to be quite honest with you. And, and I kind of kept it a secret because I wasn't supposed to know. Kind of weird, right? Until my mom told me later that day, you know. But it was just uh, kind of tragic, very tragic, you know. So, uh, so growing up without a dad, there was a lot of, uh, um, I guess, issues on, you know. I didn't really know how to do certain things because I didn't have a role model, uh, good or bad, a role model in that. So, pretty much the streets were kind of my role model for the probably the next, you know, 10 years of my life or seven years of my life, whatever that might be. So what, was, what were you doing? Like, what did you go? To, oh. Did you get caught on anything? <laughs> I always got caught doing something, no doubt about it. You know, I, I guess I was, I was kind of a low uh, level guy, you know, like, kind of was like in a little neighborhood gang, if you will, nothing crazy, you know, got into cars and, and low riders. And uh, I think that was kind of a saving grace because I think, being in a lowrider car club was a step up from being in a gang and, and maybe less altercations. Not to say that everybody in the car club weren't doing something illegal, but, you know, they were trying to do something better than just negative. You know, i give you an example. We had a, I was president of a car club when I was like 17, 18 years old, and we merged this car club into another car club, and, and we were the first lowrider club in Arizona to be invited to participate in the Fiesta Bowl parade. That's the big uh, parade that we have on New Year's Eve, you know, for the for the bowl game, and uh, which was kind of interesting. And, and you know, it's kind of funny, Pat. We had uh, standards, you know, and, and maybe a lot of people on the call won't understand, but 
your car had to be pristine. It had to be a newer model. It had to have wire wheels, you know, and so there was, so this club literally had CC&Rs, if you will, and how you can conduct yourself to fly your plaque or wear your, uh, your colors, if you will. Everything had to be like perfect, you know, so it was kind of cool. Kind of did that for about, you know, three years and decided I got to get out of this. But even stepping back a little bit, one of the things when I was 17 years old, I started college, moved out of the neighborhood, got my apartment. Uh, before my 18th birthday, I bought my first piece of real estate. You know, it was like a $10,000 cash to mortgage, no qualifying deal. And it might have even been less than that. I think it was probably like 5000 Yeah, how'd you even get 5Gs at 17? Well, you know, I think I had, you know, there was a little bit of money. I mean, little, like, you know, probably five, $6,000 from when my father died that was left behind. But, oh, that you didn't spend, uh, huh? Yeah, but, you know, I was hustling. I mean, I was hustling at, at, from, from the, you know, from as a kid cutting grass uh, to, you know, grocery store when I was 16. As soon as I was old enough to work, I worked in the grocery business. So anyway, I, you know, I had a job. And, uh, you know, when I was going to high school, I had a, a job and, and going to college, I had a job and I literally worked at two grocery stores simultaneously to be able to get more money. So I was, like I said, I was hustling, uh, bought that first house, sold it within a year. It was kind of a half fixer upper, you know, you moved in and you kind of upgraded it. And then, you know, less than a year later, I sold it, made about a $10,000 profit and then parlayed that into a new home. And I qualified under this. FHA loan at the time and kind of sat there for about 12 years, right, in that house. Tried to buy a couple rental properties with some buddies, and as soon as they got ugly, you know, we just, we bailed out. You know, as soon as the tenants weren't paying, we kind of freaked out and decided that wasn't our cup of tea. And it was several years later before we got back into buying residential real estate again. So taking me up to, uh, you know, my first real mentor is a friend of yours and mine, which was Howard. Uh, he was the first uh, real estate speaker I had and and kind of became my mentor in my in my guide, you know, which was kind of interesting. Uh, like I said, not having a dad, I kind of, I probably looked towards Howard as kind of a dad figure in my life because it was kind of a void and just kind of followed what, you know, he taught. And uh, that's how I got to meet you 20 plus years ago. And so today I have... Uh, I'll tell you a little bit about my family. Uh, my family consists of uh, my oldest daughter, Brandy. She is a single mom and has an eight-year-old. Uh, they'll be coming to Fambundance in uh, Jackson Hole. Awesome. Uh, my, my son, Nate Jr., is 27. Both of them are in uh, my team as, you know, they're listing and, and selling uh, on my team. Tanya, my better half, uh, and I met about 15 years ago. And uh, she had a, uh, a son, and so he's now grown up, uh, graduated Harvard. He's uh, in Hong Kong. We're going to go visit him in July in Hong Kong. Wow. And uh, so we're pretty excited about that. Uh, and then uh, seven years ago, on my about, just right after my 50th birthday, Tanya gave birth to our daughter. So I started all over. And Mila, today is uh, today's her last day of school. For last day of first grade, and she's seven years old, and kind of a game changer. So that's kind of where I'm at today. You know, oh, business-wise, been in real estate for 31 years, sold over 5,000 homes. Um, on 2011, September September 11, 2001, excuse me, 
my business partner, Frank Russo, and I opened up our first Remax office. We were literally having our, our first meeting at the time when the uh, towers were being hit. It was a, uh, it was a, you know, it was, it was a clarifying time because all the agents that were going to come join us in our new endeavor, not one of them came because the market had kind of tanked and nobody, everybody was kind of uncertain. And uh, but from that day forward, we moved along. We we built a real estate business. We had about three offices. We acquired a, a large independent. And about six months after that acquisition, the market crashed here in Phoenix, and I would say I lost a good chunk of my net worth in that fiery crash. Well, okay, so wait a minute. Let me, let's slow this down, too. So you acquired an independent. Did you pay money for it? You know, we didn't pay it cash up front. We uh, paid him over time. He came on, and it was about a three-year payout. Uh, I think the mistakes, you know, that's the first one we ever did. And when you acquire somebody else's debt, it's not always good. He had a couple locations. One of the locations was a mile and a half from our other location. It didn't make sense. So we ended up closing that location down and merging. And the, the interesting thing, that this company had great numbers, but the market was so good, Pat, that you, know, you just had to have a real estate license and you could print money. And this was uh, in 2011, right? Yeah, uh, yeah, probably before, probably before that, you know. I mean, because it wasn't that good, or was, was it? I mean, you, you guys know, before the crash, the market was just literally. Oh, yeah, this is like two thousand seven. Yeah, yeah, and uh, so the market was just flying. So when we bought this company, you know, everything was rolling real well. Seemed like the day we closed the, <laughs> the transaction, the market changed, right? And so we didn't time that acquisition, but we were, you know, hungry for growth. You know, we wanted more agents, more locations. What happened with that acquisition, it wasn't like culture. You know, most of those agents were, I don't know, you know, they were probably just selling family and friends. Let's put it that way. Yeah, okay. We thought we could bring them into our system and, and you know, take them from selling four or five homes a year to 10 to 15 homes a year. You know, yeah, we really yeah. we could do that. But when the market crashed, you know, they all fled like, uh, you know, they just all fled. They just couldn't be part of the, the organization. And well, so- yeah, and they don't, you know, what happens is they don't want to pay their continuing education fees and their 400 bucks a year, you know, mm-hmm. fees and shit like that. And then they, you know, they're like, ah, well, they're four houses a year goes to two and then the one. They're like, ah, it's not worth it. Right, right. And that, that's basically what happened. So we ended up uh, at, the, at the end of that buyout uh, learning a very good uh, education and then uh, of course then uh, we had the challenge at that point we had five offices and even even the agents that we had in our company and, and we actually acquired we, we, so we went from three to five and we went back down to three and then we bought out another uh, Remax broker which was our original broker and they had a really similar culture to ours and it was the right thing so we acquired three more offices and uh, and at that time, you know, it was still kind of a bad time. That's when the short sales were really big. And we got real involved in getting our agents, getting the CDPE designation and, and you know, really working, teaching them how to work the short sales because that was the market we were in, in REO. And we went through that. And then we, when we acquired the new company, they were uh, maybe a little bit older generation of agents that had probably been with, some of these people have been with that broker 30 and 40 years. Their mindset was, Nate, I, I don't. I'm not going to do short sales. I'm not going to do REOs. I'm just going to work on my 
my past clients that I, I'm a 100% referral agent. And what, what happened, these guys were doing about 20 deals a year, but it wasn't too long. If you don't do short sales and you don't do foreclosures and you put that out to your clientele, they go somewhere else to get their needs met, meaning they need, they need to do a short sale. Uh, so some of those agents went from 20 transactions a year down to four or five. And then they, you know, they they left the firm to go to a lower cost. Uh, so, like looking back on it, ten years later, would did you lose money on that deal? Yeah, I think I lost. I, I think both times of acquisition, I, I don't know if I lost money. Uh, the second, the second was good. You know, I think the the buying the acquiring the Remax office. But what we didn't know is still that the market was going to continue to be weak for several years. Yeah. Right? Yeah, everything changes. It's funny when, you know, I see this not only in myself, I'm guilty of it too, but in everybody, most people I talk to that start new businesses or getting into new ventures, they, they're almost manic. You know what I mean? Their goals are are extremely lofty. I mean, you have to be right, Mm -hmm. but it's interesting to watch. You know, there's we always feel like something good is coming around the corner, and we're going to be able to make things better. Uh, than they currently are, and and sometimes we are, but sometimes mm-hmm. we're not. You know, <laughs> we can't. Well, you know, being in this space for thirty one years, you know, what's quite interesting is the optimist that <laughs> that we have in the real estate industry. And one of the challenges is that they're not great business owners. You know, you see people uh, that are working late into their seventies, eighties. You know, I even know some in their nineties. Yeah. Oh, some of them that's my worst fear. Yeah. Yeah. But you know, most of them, they work because they have to, you know? And, uh, I think that's a, uh, a lesson to be learned. You know, it's also, it's, it's their highest, like they can't get another job that pays as much as, as a couple of commissions will. And it makes it even worse, right? They're unqualified for any other job with technology and everything else. So they, they have to go, Chasing fizzbos at seventy five, you know. Well, you, you know the you know the deal is they uh, they're unemployable, right? Realtors want freedom. They they don't like accountability. You know, the majority of them. You know, and so uh, they're not even accountable to themselves for for the most part, right? So they just work and work and work, and uh, and and so many, you know, unfortunately, aren't investing in in. In real estate you know they don't have the money to so it's kind of sad it really is you know so it's uh, you know one of the things that Frank and I have done in our in our firm is we really try to help people look at building wealth and try to bring opportunities to our agents uh, and even still like we, we did a title company last year opened it up a year ago and as I was telling you on the call before the call uh, that you know, we lost a, as a brokerage in the last two years several large teams. That two of them were birthed out of my out of my team, you know, 15 years ago. That had gone off and opened up their own companies. What we decided to do was to open up a title company and give owner not give ownership, sell shares of the title company to our agents as a wealth building endeavor. Yeah, right? and also, smart. And also an opportunity for them to, you know, see that we're giving back to them and helping them grow their wealth, but also for a retention piece. And uh, we, were, Frank and I were going down the road with about five or six other large brokers in town to do this big title company. And it was at my first GoBundance event. 
I started reaching out and, and talked to Mike McCarthy, and, and he told me who they who, who he would recommend to do title with, and it was one of the GoBros, uh, Jim Campbell. So I reached out to Jim Campbell, and this was probably about two years ago, and uh, we started a dialogue, liked him, uh, and went in business with him, and uh, uh, that's been that's one of our new pillars of income now in our first year. We delivered a ten percent return on our our agent's investment, and that was our first dividend that we gave out last year. Of course, that's awesome. Yeah, yeah, that's awesome. So let's talk about what we were talking about, if you don't mind. I mean, we're gonna we're gonna take this one, guys, a little bit differently than than we we'll get we'll get into some innate stuff. But while we're on this subject, let's just keep going here. You had mentioned like the real estate landscape. The I should say. The brokerage, real estate brokerage landscape in Phoenix, Arizona is a lot, and I mean a lot different than other markets. I mean, I've talked to 500 agents on my Rockstar podcast, and uh, I live in two different homes, and, and I watch markets, and one in South Carolina, one in Maryland pretty closely. It's not going on here. Why don't you tell everybody what is going on with real estate brokerages in Phoenix, Arizona? Okay, well, you know, uh, Phoenix was uh, an interesting place. We had, back when the market crashed, we had the large uh, investment groups coming in buying, you know, thousands and tens of thousands of properties, you know, like Blackstone bought, I think, over 10,000 residential homes where they moved the portfolio into buying low, holding, and then liquidating, right? So there's always been a big watch in the Phoenix market because it goes up and goes down so rapidly. And did they bail? Uh, no, you know, they held. and uh, So they, know, they still, like Blackstone still owns all these and is renting them out. Yeah, you know, okay. I, I'm, sure I'm sure they're selling them off slowly. And, you know, the, the big fear was that everybody was going to sell them off fast, but that's not been the case. You know, matter of fact, we have a very low inventory and we still have a rising tide on prices, okay? Uh, the Phoenix landscape, there, there's a, and these are approximate numbers, Pat, there, there's approximately 35,000 licensed agents in, in, in our city, uh, Maricopa County is a large city, it, you know, there's about 4 million people living here. But uh, last year, and probably several years, we, we sell about 60, 65,000 homes a year. So the average agent is doing less than two transactions. So, so you know, what has sprung up, and actually the 100% real estate concept was started here probably 50 years ago, even before Remax took hold of it. Realty Execs was the uh, the leader and started the 100% concept. And since then, there's been all kinds of offshoots of 100% companies. Uh, I'll give you an example, Pat. When I started 31 years ago, uh, I I was recruited, well, not recruited, I went and knocked on the door and they said they'd hired me after I got my license to be on a 50-50 split. I think that was a Better Homes and Gardens. When I was in real estate school, I learned that I can hang my license somewhere for $25 a month and $50 a closing. And I thought, well, that's a hell of a lot better, and that's 100%. So even back then, there were these low-cost 100% companies, and they've grown, uh, and they've been acquired. Several, several of the original big ones were acquired by larger uh, institutions, so... You know, so now, going, now they're coming back really strong in Phoenix. What are, what are the names of them? Well, they, they came came back strong when the market was crashing. You know, when 
when companies like my my company, when people went from selling twenty homes a year to five, yeah, they had to find a lower cost to keep to keep moving. So there, there's different companies. Uh, I think one of the bigger companies in town that's grown from zero to about eight thousand agents, and they did about sixteen thousand transactions uh, last nice. last twelve months or so. They uh, very low cost. They're twenty five dollars a month, one hundred and fifty dollars a transaction. Okay. So and there's and, and it's there's a virtual of, type deal, right? They can just work out of your type. house. Yeah, it, it's more of a, you know, I used to joke that I had more square footage and more employees than some of these big virtual companies had, and with eight thousand agents, like you yeah. have, yeah, yeah. yeah so and it's probably so it accurate. <laughs> your team has more square footage than an eight thousand agent <laughs> company. Yeah. Um, so, so, so the bottom line is there, there's probably, you know, I haven't counted, but there's probably 30, 40 companies of that of that type of business where it's very low cost. I, I kind of jokingly say that, that the real estate agent has kind of been Uberized, if you will, into a very low cost uh, affiliation. And, you know, some of them have decent services too because they're technology companies, if you will. That that just happen to have uh, real estate licenses uh, bind from them, and uh, it, it's interesting to watch. You know those, you know even big teams have moved from major uh, brands to some of these companies because they can scale wide. Uh, you know, I mean, you, you know how how agents are. They want to have twenty agents all doing one deal a month so they can close twenty deals a month. You know, and it's easy to do when you can scale like that. Uh, as opposed to having five good agents doing five deals a month, you know, so it it's just a different model for different people. The other thing that's happened in the Phoenix marketplace because I think Wall Street, in all their acquisitions of properties it, it, in Arizona during the depression, it's a great place for people to test things. There was a company called Open Door that that started here in Phoenix, and they they literally buy real estate. From homeowners, so all their ads, TV, billboards—I mean, they got very aggressive uh, money behind them. They'll and they mail. Matter of fact, oh, Tony was laughing yesterday. We got an offer to buy our house, and they they send out offers to probably every household in, in Phoenix. You know, uh, probably over a million homes, maybe, where they're direct mailing a offer price on your house, where they run some algorithm like a like a Zillow, right? No shit. So it says. Hi, my name is Fred from Open Door, and I will buy your house for four hundred seventy-one thousand two hundred twenty dollars, cash. Cash, right? Today, and today, yeah. And their their uh, their information, which is uh, coming at us, is the information that's coming to the public is like, you know, you want to sell your house, you don't want to have the hassle of showing it. We'll buy your house cash today, you know, and that's kind of the deal. And they come in to make a. A pretty decent offer, but but their back end costs are pretty high. Right? They they did probably charge about ten percent in acquisition as opposed to maybe a six percent commission. They have the commission in there. No, there's like fine print down at the bottom that says you know yeah. probably yeah. it says you know we reserve the right to look at it and blah blah blah. What do they do with this? So they buy the house and they and they they they're flippers really. You know they're buying the house. You know, maybe the house was kind of rough, or the people were pack rats, or you know, somebody just want to get out of town quick, right? And then they kind of fresh the house up. It, it cuts to the chase because you know when you get that marketing piece without a price, 
there's always that other shoe that has to drop, right? You're always like, you know, what shoe, what's, where, when's the shoe going to drop? Well, we all know that the, the, va- the what they're going to come in and offer me is half of what it's worth. So then they throw the postcard in the, in the trash. But here they drop the other shoe instantly, and it's like, bam, okay, well, it, it probably works. Yeah, you know, they, they were the largest uh, buyer of homes in Arizona last year. And again, they're going to, this is their test marketed here to take nationwide. Then another company came up doing the same thing called OfferPad. So the you know, so these models I think are disrupting the both the real low cost uh, type of brokerage and the the outside uh, uh, investment type companies where they're buying houses, they're making it real appealing to consumers. You know, one of the biggest challenges consumers always had is liquidating residential real estate. You know, if you need money from your stock, you can trade it today and get your check. That's what they. That's what they're doing to real estate here. Uh, and again, you know, they will expand, and I know they have expanded to other cities already. But it's just an interesting to watch. You know, when we were talking earlier, Pat. You know, I remember when the internet came out. A lot of people thought real estate agents would go to the to the way of the uh, travel agents. You know, where you know there used to be a travel agent almost every strip center in America to no strip centers, right? And, uh, you know, I, I see that escalating more so today than when the Internet was first invented because models, you know, even even the threat of Zillow and what they're doing today and continuing to do, you know, disrupts the way real estate agents work. Right. So, so obviously, as... As an owner of six Remaxes, you've been disrupted by by your own people that you raised, right? Um, and by a company that didn't exist, you know, ten years ago with eight thousand agents, and you know, obviously every real estate company in Phoenix is being disrupted. That's just one company, and there's like you said, like twenty or thirty of them. Plus, mm-hmm. everybody's going boutique if they if they if they don't want to do that or whatever. So it's becoming very easy to have a virtual company and very low overhead company. I don't know, you know, if this is something that's going to take off everywhere, but uh, time will tell. But let's get back to some of the of your one sheet things here, real quick, Nate. What so what percentage are are you? Um, about sixty five percent. Okay. And uh, yeah, that's where we're at. What, what, what would we're you back. say? What would you say your net worth is? Right, right about three million. Okay. And what about your health? Where are you at there? Where are you weighing now? Um, I'm at one ninety. Uh, here's a great story. When I joined, uh, before I joined Go Abundance, and I was going to go to hike the uh, the peaks in in Denver, I was probably about two ten. So I figured I, I got to get this fat guy up a mountain. So I started. Started hiking and doing different things, and I think by the time I got to Denver, I was probably two hundred ish, you know. And uh, and I think by the time we got to Whistler this year, I was down to one eighty five uh, by by a focused diet, you know, in in the end of the year, and which was tough with the holidays. But uh, so I'm right at one ninety as of this morning. So I feel good that I'm fifteen less than when I. Uh, started this journey two years ago yeah absolutely absolutely yeah i remember you know in vietnam when we were hiking up that uh, hiking up that beast of a hill on that one that last killer. day <laughs> yeah jesus when you got when you got bit by a leech 
<laughs> I got the shirt to prove it. Yeah, that was an awesome. That's an awesome picture. All right, so let's talk about some uh, past greatest hits. So you know, every country music star, or rock star has greatest hits albums, and I want to see what Nate Martinez's greatest hits are. What would you say your past five greatest hits have been? Well, I I think some of them you're going to hear a lot of family, right? So. Watching my daughter graduate from university, um, you know, this has been about 10 years ago, was probably one because she was the first person in my family tree, if you will, to graduate from a university. So that was uh, that was pretty cool. And then my stepson, Brennan, graduating last year from Harvard was a was a, 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 a different type. Right. Here's a here's a you know, just a smart kid that that killed it at Harvard, you know, and uh, watching that experience. So. Those are two pretty good. Of course, the birth of my kids, you know, uh, Brandy, Nate, and, and Mila, and my granddaughter, Hayden. Those are all uh, huge things. Uh, I got to say, I got to give a big shout out to Go Abundance in the Vietnam trip last year. That was that was so far out of my comfort zone to <laughs> to go. Never never really been on a, an event without family. You know, usually a vacation included family. That's really one of the first big things I did for Nate, and I uh, thank you for putting that together. That was that was absolutely amazing. Uh, you know, there's a lot of uh, other things that don't shine as well. You know, I think you know, just becoming a realtor and how it's changed my life and and probably the lives of my family uh, from where I was 30 years ago when I for, when I first got licensed to where I am today. That's been a big change. So, I, you know, those, I mean, not real exciting stuff, but those are the, the, the important things to me. Yeah, absolutely. What about future greatest hits? Oh, you know, next uh, next month of taking Tanya and Mila to Hong Kong, uh, yeah. to Brennan, and kind of just explore. Um, uh, on my list is I, I want to take a month and visit Spain and Italy. Uh, awesome. I do. Here's a little one. Maybe some of the bros can help me on this one. I want to attend the Masters. I mean, that's been kind of a deal, you, you know. Uh, so throwing put that together out. a little mini trip. Yeah, yeah. We, we need to go Abundance Masters event. That'd be awesome. Uh, I think what's important to me because you know, as being a an older dad, you know, 57 with a seven year old, is being able to dance uh, at my daughter's wedding, you know, which probably I'll be into my late seventies, early eighties or something, somewhere around there. Right? Yeah. Yeah. Interesting. So, Interesting. So well, that's, that's great motivation, right? I mean, and well, that's a great goal. You, you're not going to forget that goal, you know? Yeah. That, and you know what it does? It keeps you focused on, on, you know, one of the pillars about age defined health, you know, right. You, uh, and I got a, I got a granddaughter. I want to be there for her as well. You know, who's to say by then I'll have more grandchildren, but that, that's, yeah. Being at their wedding, I think, would be just a goal of having a great time. And, and, and again, not just going to the wedding, but being able to dance at the wedding. Right. You know, be a full, full, full immersion, like you're exhausted at the end of the wedding. Like you, right. you went balls out at this wedding, right? You know? But, you know, my mom's turning uh, 90 years old next, uh, next month as well. And we were at a, a college graduation for a nephew uh, just uh, last week. And she was dancing up a storm and i just we just everybody just loves to watch her little old lady about you know 99 pounds you know she said <laughs> she's 11 you know just at, out there doing line dancing and just having a blast you know 
So the good news is I do have that in my genes. Uh, my mom's, you know, into her 90s, and my grandfather lived into his early 90s. So, so hopefully I will too. You know. Yeah. Well, you will. You will. Yeah. I mean, you're just, uh, just just having that goal is uh, will get you there. You know what I mean? Just having that yeah. goal, and it it's a compound effect, as you know. You know, it's not something when you're 98. You know, like your mom, it didn't all of a sudden get healthy at 98. And, or the yeah. ability to dance at 98, you know what I mean? It starts, you know, way in advance. It starts, you know, mm-hmm. lifestyle. So, yeah, that's great. You're already thinking of it. So let's um let's spin the app for a few questions. You want to? Okay. All right. Nate Martinez, describe a time when you had to make an unpopular decision. Okay. Uh, I, w- I would say probably... Probably when the real estate market was tanking and having to go into the broker that was running the company we owned and, and letting him go, it, it was the right thing to do financially because the market was going in the hole. And uh, and then we just appointed my my partner as the broker, which you know we eliminated at that time. I don't know, probably seventy five thousand uh, dollars salary. And again, might be small thinking, but at that time it was it was a tough. You, you so he that. was running like he was like a general manager of all the offices. Yeah, well, he was the broker, right? The broker of record. Broker of record, yeah. Yeah. And then and you guys, you and you and your partner Frank, just took uh, just wiped that out and just did that yourself, right? Yeah, yeah, Frank did it. Yeah. Ah, so he took on the job without a salary and just said, "Hey, we'll save seventy five yeah, I mean, you got to do that. That's kind of 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 what you got to do when times get tough is you know you know i you know I've talked to other people that have had this problem, like somebody recently had this issue with their company going out of business, and I was talking to them, and I was looking at their numbers, and I was like, "Fuck, man, you know, fire three people, right? Fire these three people, they're making fifty two. 53 and 48,000, right? Mm-hmm. And just start going to the office at five in the morning and leaving at nine at night. You know, you, you're, you're in crisis mode here, right? You can't afford all these employees, right? I mean, the, he, this person had employees making more than he was as the owner of the company for like three years straight. And I'm like, dude, you know, suck it up and go back to work and 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 take their salary or take half of their salary i mean it just didn't you know so so i agree with that you know what i mean frank had to get in the trenches he had to go out and get sweaty and get her done you know yeah no i know it's 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 you know most people don't make tough decisions you know we had a friend of ours that owned a very large insurance firm and uh you know, God, he took care of everybody. He whined and dined them, and, and then then the market crashed, and he spent pretty much a majority of his retirement money that he saved keeping this thing going, uh, which eventually shut down. Right, He ended up going a different direction, and he got bought out from the, the mothership. But he blew all his money trying to keep everybody happy, and, and he tells us, you know, today I don't even have relationships with all these people that were – is it was basically his entourage, if you will, you know. Yeah, you know that's an interesting thing because when I like in when I you know I had a big team. I mean, one year I fired twenty two people, and and it took me. And some people will say I was very fast in that. 
there's people that I had fired back then that still don't talk to me because they felt like other people should have been fired before them because they were there longer than them. And so I've lost relationships because of that. But even firing those 22 people, I look back on it as I've made really slow decisions. Like there were people there that I was keeping just because I loved them or felt like I, you know, was the patriarch of a family and they weren't doing any work, but I felt like they had given me so much that I wanted to keep them on. And and at the time that was very honorable, but I look back now 10 years later and, and you're right. I haven't seen them since, right? Right. I'm yeah. going to be lucky if I, if they post something on Facebook and I like it or something, right? So, you know, you think that these people are going to be with you forever. Like you said, your boy's entourage, right? Mm-hmm. People that he was there, but fuck, they move on, right? They, you know, they're not going to, you know, you lose that commonality. You don't have anything left in common. You know, you know what's interesting is uh, back, you and I had big REO teams. You know, we used to go to the REO events together. You know, when, when we were, my best year in real estate unit wise, I think it was 680 transactions. And, uh, I had this big, massive team. You know, I had four guys just running around inspecting properties, and they had three or four transaction coordinators. And when the, you know, and these people like become like your family, right? They're they're part of your team. And as the market was going slowing up, you know, the the transaction coordinators that were, you know, we we're doing sometimes seventy five, eighty deals in a month. You know, later on when we're doing fifty deals in a month. They're just as busy. Then when we're doing 30 deals in a month, they're just as busy. It's amazing. <laughs> they can expand or contract to what's in front of them. Exactly. But what, but what happens is your overhead stays high as your income is contracting. You work, know, you work fills time allowed. You know, yeah. I mean, it's yeah. so true. They'll, they'll get it done in time. They might, you know, stretch 15 minutes later or 15 minutes earlier, but they mm-hmm. get it done. They figure out how to get it. And the exact same thing happened to me. I, I, I've watched that too. And, and it same it works for us too like like um it seemed like when my wife is out of town right and the kids mm-hmm. are not here I'm like working all the time you know uh, like a computer's like always open but mm-hmm. if family's here or I'm on vacation or whatever I get the same amount of work done you right. know but it just takes 10 hours less or I'm exaggerating but you know what I mean work fills time allowed whether that's more time or less time right right. It, it is. It's amazing how we can expand that, you know, no doubt about it. Yeah. Well, listen, Nate, this has been awesome. We've sidetracked into all kinds of interesting things. I, I'm going to get you on the Rockstar podcast and talk about the disruption of the Phoenix market there and whether that's going to, um, you know, continue on to other markets because it's a fascinating thing and uh, fascinating, but not fun uh, for you who's who's at a brokerage, Remax, that at one time was kind of like the – the bro- the discount brokerage for agents and now 20 years later you know everything's um changing there's always somebody there's always an avis you know what i mean like avis we try harder you know there's right. always an avis coming in to any business any market don't care what it is right there's somebody gunning for you yeah you know i mean it, it forces you to look at your business and you change the model right and uh we're continually changing the model, where the, where the Remax model was. You paid a you know a, a, 
a high monthly fee, let's say, you know, part of the investment and you get to keep all your money to, I would say most of the people that are in our company today are on splits where we've almost kind of gone full circle before Remax. What did you have? You had mom and pop shops and everybody was on a 50-50 split. Then it, then the pendulum swung to the other end where it's 100%. Then, you know, with with a fee, then it's, it's almost 100% with almost free, right? And uh, so you got to find your way, you know, and, and carve out your niche, you know, uh, one thing that I do say is not everybody can work at our firm. You know, we have a very targeted uh, group. Uh, we've been recognized over the last several years of having the highest production per agent. But, you know, sometimes you wonder, should I have 10,000 agents making a little bit as opposed to having 150 agents and making a lot? You know, yeah. so it's- well, that's a tough call. I mean, that's, you know what, you know what else changed? Uh, because, I, you know, I can tell you this firsthand. I moved to, I was at a company called Long & Foster. And mm-hmm. I moved from Long and Foster to Remax, and I and it took them forever to recruit me, like a year. Like the guy that the, the broker owner of the Remax was at that time a former uh, teacher of mine. He taught me psychology. He's my like psychology teacher in high school, and uh, he became an agent, and then he became a broker, and and he worked me forever. And um, I finally came over, but I, I, I know to this day, because I recruited other people on his same sales pitch, there were two things, two things. Number one, the first was the split. Like I would go from a 70-30 split or 65-35 at Long & Foster to 100%. But the second one that was more powerful was that I would get all my own leads. Mm-hmm. They, they, you know, Remax did not have floor duty, right? That was the thing. Right. And floor duty was the 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 mosquito net or whatever you want, a fishing net that when any lead called in, it went to the agent sitting in floor duty and at Long & Foster and all the traditional brokers, we didn't get that lead. And when it, instantly when I went to Remax, all these calls on every listing that I had, I got and I started doing all these buyer deals that I would never have been able to do before. Well, now what's happened is the syndicate Zillow, you know, and some of these other guys have taken the leads away from mm-hmm. listing agents. So now I, can, I don't have that benefit anymore. So I'm sure that hurts the Remax concept a little bit as well. You know, well, you uh, know a lot. Well, what agents do is you know they buy in. You know, like you know I, I got agents in our company that are huge uh, subscribers to to Zillow leads right and boomtown and various other things but it used to be free it used to be for a remax agent you got that free for every other agent Caldwell banker you know everybody else you didn't get that free you didn't even get it right you know what true. i mean yeah. anyways this 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 has been great man Look, uh, Nate we will definitely uh, be getting together in the very near future and have a blast at Fambundance. Sounds like you're going to have a good time there. And uh, thanks for sharing. All right. Sounds good. Thanks, Pat. See you, bros. Have a great day. Grab life big. <laughs>